Hello, everyone, and welcome to New Consciousness Review Radio. I'm Miriam Knight, and our guest today is Howard Martin, the co-author of the 1999 classic book, The Heart Math Solution, along with Doc Childra. And he's the author of The Heart Math Method, an audio learning program. Howard is a member of the Transformational Leadership Council and also the Evolutionary uh, Leaders, a group of global visionaries founded by Deepak Chopra. He's the spokesman for the Global Coherence Initiative, a science-based project that was launched in 2008, designed to help shift global consciousness toward balance, cooperation, and enduring peace. Howard speaks internationally on developing the new intelligence needed to navigate life during these changing times and the importance of creating global coherence, which will be the subject of our discussion today. So welcome, Howard. I'm delighted you could join us. Thank you very much. I'm honored to be on your show. Appreciate it. Thank you. So what brought you into this field? Because I understand you had a successful career as a musician and then went into business and financial consulting. Well, I guess it all started when I was a very young man, about 21 years old, when I became interested in in personal growth, really. Um, And I had a couple of realizations early on that my life needed to be about continuous growth, growth for starters. When I looked at life, I looked at nature, I looked at everything around me, it appeared as if it was about growing, it was about changing, it was about learning, it was about adapting to your environment, it was about improving. All those things seemed to be the meaning and purpose of life. So I determined early on that my life had to be about that. The second part of those realizations, however, was about service, uh, that you had to give what you got, and that life, for me at least, had to be about service to others. And so regardless of whether it was a music career, whether it was a business career, or, or whether it was what became heart math, those same two guiding principles were sort of my internal compass or GPS system that gave me the direction that I needed to go with whatever I did. It's, it's very heartening to hear that you had this realization. I'm wondering if um, there was something in your background that predisposed you to, to understanding um, your role as one of service in the world. Well, I don't know about that, really. I think, you know, I had a normal childhood. I was raised in suburbia outside of Richmond, Virginia. I had the Leave it to Beaver family, you know, the mom and dad and, and the brother and the great neighborhood and all of that. So I got a good start. I have to admit that. Uh, when I think about it, I got a really good start. I was actually born in Grace Hospital on Grace Street. <laughs> the hospital was run by my grandmother, and I was the first grandchild in the family. So... I certainly got, had some advantages and got off to a good start, but I was a knucklehead like most kids and, you know, and most people. I didn't have any, any real maturity or sense about me or, or a sense of purpose. So I was just sort of following the pattern. Uh, when I was around 21 is when that began to change and I began to think about things differently. And shortly after that is when I had uh, the fortuitous opportunity to meet Doc Childry, who's the founder of HeartMath. And that was a big turning point for me in my you know, interactions with him early on. He was only four years older than I was, but I could tell quickly that he had an, an intelligence and awareness and an ability to care that certainly embraced mine. That wasn't actually very comfortable at first, to be honest with you. I used to have these thoughts of like, I'm not sure I like this guy. He makes too much sense. <laughs> but um, 
we became friends, and he, he, he has helped me so much in my life with that awareness and that care that he has. And it was Doc that really uh, got me more serious about these aspirations that I had or taking these realizations and, and putting them into practice. It was also Doc that introduced me to the heart. Mm-hmm. It's a heart-centric approach to doing all of this, but his understanding of heart and the way he languaged it and the way he explained it to me was not this sort of squishy, sentimental heart that you know we associate uh, things with. It was something very dynamic, very powerful, very empowering, and also very intelligent. And of course, we've unfolded that, and I've unfolded it in myself and continue to unfold it in myself for all these many years now. This is 40 years of work, really. Um, and it led me to heart math and the formation of heart math along with Doc and others and turned into a career and all those things. And I look back at this journey and say, it still goes back to, to doing what I said I was going to do in the beginning. And staying true to that as best I could with all the ups and downs of life and the challenges and the problems and all the things that I messed up and the places that I fell. And all those things were part of the, of the character building process that just pushed me deeper and deeper into uh, leading a heart-centric life. Can you give us an overview, of, of, of just the tip of the spoon, of what heart math is all about? Miriam, it's a, it's a system, really, consisting of methods, techniques, and even technology, all underpinned with scientific research to give it a groundedness and a credibility. And it was designed to really empower people, help people empower themselves through these changing times that we all live in now. The system manifests itself in a variety of ways, certainly through our companies and our nonprofit organization, the Institute of Heart Math, and in the training programs and products and services and licenses and all the other things that are associated with an externalization of something like that. So today it's the system that just literally, you know, hundreds of thousands of people around the world have been exposed to and use and practice in some way. And it's been an amazing process really to see this come from an idea and come from a commitment and be developed into successful businesses and to see adoption at the level we've seen it, and to have never done it in a traditional way, never had venture capital money in the beginning to start things, or nothing like that. It was just based upon our commitment and our belief in ourselves and our belief that we had a mission. And that's what it is, really, the thumbnail of it, and a lot of different aspects and facets to heart math, but it's really a system that puts people in contact with something they already have, which is the intelligence of their heart. You, you describe the, the uh, way you get it out um, and the essence of getting in touch with your heart's intelligence. Is that a, a method of tuning in, of, of meditation? Um, what, what is the, the link? Well, it definitely is a method of going within yourself and beginning to become more sensitive to this type of um, information that comes when we're sort of an integrated heart into our process. And that's what the heart math system techniques and methods are really about. There are ways in which people can do that that we've researched and put into practice. And they're simple. They're nothing complex, nothing grandiose. There are things that are easy for people to do and very practical for people to do. And then it is that unfolding process of becoming more sensitive to these things, mm-hmm. tagging in more to more of our intuitive sense, you know, more of the type of intelligence that just sort of it's a little different than the sort of logical linear approaches to things. It's more associated with what, how things feel 
you know, what's the internal feeling state that we have associated with something we perceive or something we're trying to decide. And so it is an unfolding process. It has, you know, some different angles to it. Uh, of course, we have, you know, like I said, the things we used to externalize it, I think, for individuals, the thing that we're doing now we'll called the Heart Mastery Program, which is done with a combination of online learning and live discussions via the telephone, is one of the things that we're seeing great results in. Because there's so many, you know, so many rooms in the heart, so to speak, so many different things to explore. Mm-hmm. But the first step, I think, is to is to recognize and acknowledge these feelings we've had inside ourselves all our life and to respect this more, to give it more credence and more validity in how we lead our lives. To me, heart is really the core of our authentic self. It's a place where some of the most wonderful emotions we ever experience come from, like compassion and care and appreciation and love. It's a part in us that gives us the ability to, to do the things that we often think we can't, moves us beyond our mediocrity. It's, it's a place inside of us where the, the hero that we are is born from. And so giving it that type of respect and that type of, uh, of credence and that validity that it can have in our life in order to give us the ability to be the best human being we can be is the first step. One of the ways that we help people with that is the science that we've done around understanding the physical heart and its communicative power in so many different ways. Because what it does, Miriam, I think, is it gives it a groundedness to, uh, you know, the way I've languaged this before is it gives gives the head the permission to go ahead and believe in the heart. Because mm-hmm. it builds a bridge between our empirical, logical understanding and something we've sensed for a very long time within ourselves. Yeah, I remember... When, um Studying French many years ago, uh, the, the quote, the heart has its reasons that the reason doesn't understand. Yeah, Expiry, I think, is the man's name who had that. I can't remember the, his first name. Yeah, but it's a great quote. Um, now, you uh, use the techniques developed at the HeartMath Institute uh, for something called the Global Coherence Initiative. Can you tell us what's behind that? It's one of the things that I'm really passionate about, one of the, the, the aspects of my work that I really, really enjoy. And this is what it is. You know, I'll go back to the genesis of it a little bit, if I may. So, you know, we worked at HeartMath in so many different ways, and we built our whole system sort of from the ground up with a very, very practical sense to it, and the scientific research and all those things that we included in it. And at the same time, what it really was for those of us that were founders was really much more of a spiritual process, an unfoldment of our own spirit, you know, bringing spirit into humanness. And so we recognized a long time ago that change occurs when there's a change in the consciousness field itself. There's a change in that field. It filters down into our psychological paradigms, how we think, how we feel, how we perceive things, what we see as reality, what's good, what's bad, what's right, what's wrong. All those different things are being fed by this consciousness field that we all live in. And that filters down then into behaviors and how society functions and how systems in society function and all those things. So we've worked from the bottom up for a long time, you know, creating change in the individual. With the Global Coherence Initiative, what we decided to do about three years ago is let's put something together that now works it from the top down. It brings the consciousness field into another level of importance within the work that we do. So what it is is a membership organization. 
there's a website where, where you can go and find out about it. And it's uh, glcoherence.org. So the membership is free. People from all around the world have joined. Any belief system is, is recognized and acknowledged as valid. We don't predispose any of the heart math you know, methodologies on people as being a member. Some of those resources are there and available for people, but that's not what it's about. It's about people coming together in the heart in whatever way they choose to do that. So you join, and you join a community of about 40,000 people now from 85 different countries that are using their heart-focused care and their intention to help shift you know, planetary consciousness from the discord and chaos and things that we see into a much more harmonious and peaceful world. And so we have things called care focuses where we ask our members to focus on specific you know, situations that are going on in the world. The care focus for this month at the time that we are actually uh, doing this interview is on the situations in the Middle East, for example, mm -hmm. which appear to be you know, exceptionally volatile right now. So not trying to change that necessarily, but trying to make it easier and certainly focusing more heart and care on those regions. There are educational resources that people get on the, the, the site when they become members. There are things like webinars and techniques and things that we've done. You can go into the care focus room, which is an amazing place where you can see where others around the world who are sending their heart focused care and attention at that time, where you know approximately where they're located. A lot of things that happen with that. So it's really doing our part in this in, in these times, like thousands of other organizations around the world are doing, where they're doing their meditations, their prayers, their synchronous activities, all of that. So we're just doing our part in that regard. I think the part that we bring to it that is, you know, sort of very unique contribution to this is our science. Because as I mentioned, when you asked me what heart math was earlier, you know, it's all underpinned with science. So most of the things that we do have a scientific aspect to them as well. So in regards to science and the Global Coherence Initiative, uh, our researchers have developed technology that can measure subtle changes in the Earth's energetic fields. Those fields would be called things like the geomagnetic field, which is mm -hmm. the field that compasses measure the, created by the spinning of the iron core, the center of the Earth. Another field is called the ionosphere, a very plasma-like field that operates just above the atmosphere. And these fields are part of the Earth, really. The Earth is a living system, and these fields are part of that living system. What these fields do is they provide a protective layer around our planet that's essential for life to exist. It's the protective layer that filters out cosmic radiation and, and solar radiation and things like that and give us the ability to you know, have life exist as we have it today. Now, there are, have been studies on these fields, yeah, but yet the studies are, are, the science itself is relatively new. These fields are very dynamic. They're changing all the time. Scientists have done a good job of understanding some basic things about them, but there's a lot more to unfold. Part of what science has learned is that these fields do affect us. The changes in these fields have been linked to changes in our own behavior as a global society. Right on down into things like crime rates and health issues and terrorism attacks, all these things have been correlated to changes in the fields. So we knew going into this that we have an energetic alignment or relationship with the Earth's energetic fields. As a matter of fact, we found that some of the same frequencies produced by the human heart and brain 
are in exactly the same range as frequencies we find in the ionosphere. Mm -hmm. We know there's an energetic connection that takes place between us as individual human beings, us as a global society of human beings, in the Earth's fields. I remember that somebody said uh, before 9-11 there was a shift in uh, some indicators uh, that kind of preceded the events. Uh, was this your data? Actually, it was data that we found, and we found it in conjunction with one of our friends, at, uh, one of the researchers at the Institute of Noetic Sciences. What's interesting, Miriam, is it was readily available. <laughs> Uh, it's actually data produced by the National Oceanographic and Aeronautic Administration here in the United States. They have two satellites that are called space weather satellites, and they're, they're located in stationary orbits above both sides of the United States, way up in space. And they're looking at all this cosmic radiation and solar information and a lot of things, but they also look back from outer space back at the Earth's geomagnetic fields. And so they publish this information daily. You can go to that site and see the information that's there. What was interesting is that when we saw the, the data around 9-11, it was kind of, it was a shock, really. You can see the, the normal patterning data of the, of the power within these fields in the two satellites going from, you know, you know 9-7, 8, 9-10, you know, right on up, looking like a very normal sine wave-like pattern. And then right at 9-11, it just spiked into this huge, gigantic spike. Mm. And then the day that are depicted in the graph that many people use today that did come from us uh, shows that there's extra power, extra chaos or disruption in that field in the days after 9-11. And so the researchers began to look, was this created by solar effects? No, it wasn't. Was it created by some external other effect? They couldn't find a thing. Was it created by anything else that could have been happening you know, uh, on the surface of the Earth that day? Could find nothing. So it doesn't prove that what happened on 9-11 created the changes in these fields. But it certainly is an interesting hypothesis. Mm, interesting correlation. Now, you, you use the term uh, chaotic patterns, and what you're talking about is heart coherence, which is the opposite of chaos. So is, is it your um, thesis that by intentionally creating coherence, you can affect the general field? We think so. That's the hypothesis we need to prove or disprove, as science would have it, over time. Because here's, here's what happens is that you know, we believe that mass human emotion, whether it be positive or negative, Miriam, can have a measurable impact on these fields. Now, it's, a, it's an interesting science and scientific endeavor to go into this because there are many things that impact the fields. So we have to be very careful at, at what we say about this until we've actually got you know, enough data to show that the hypothesis was true or not true. So it's, a, it's an ongoing process that takes some time because these fields are very, very complex. Um, we do believe that the hypothesis could be proved, that mass human emotion interacts with these fields in a way that could create changes in the fields. So to do this, we have sensor sites. Uh, it will eventually take 12 sensor sites placed in, in relatively specific locations around the world. It gives us a complete picture of these energetic fields that the Earth produces. Right now we have three and there will be two more soon. We have one in Northern California where we're located. We have one in the United Kingdom. We have one in Saudi Arabia. We have one going in very soon in New Zealand and we'll have another one very soon in uh, Northern Canada. So this, these sites are picking up these changes in these, in these fields, geomagnetic and ionospheric fields. 
Now, researchers can collect data, and they look at this data all the time, and they begin to analyze this data and begin to see you know, various things in it. They can correlate the changes, especially in solar radiation's effect on these fields. But there's a lot more work to do to filter out these things and to do the proper type of experimentation that it will take to show that, to show the possibility at least that we are impacting these fields. Mm -hmm. you know, fields impact us, as I said. What about our interaction with them? And could we learn as a global society to be able to impact these fields in a way that has positive benefit on how we function as human beings? We have a lot of advisors on the project that are just part of our advisory boards, et cetera, and some of them are famous people. One of them is my friend, the, uh, the author, Jack Canfield. Mm -hmm. And Jack said to me one day, he said, Howard, I think this could be possibly the greatest experiment in the history of the world. If you can prove this, it would prove that for thousands of years, all of the things that we believe about our thoughts, our prayers, our meditations, our intentions, and our affirmations are true that they are putting out an energy that can have an impact on things, have an effect on things. And that's a grand, that's a grand experiment. So the science part of it is that. Uh, membership is what's important first because, as our researchers have told me, is that they don't think they'll see any effect unless the energetic output coming from the people is at another level of order and coherence from what's generally put out. But that is the key to impacting the fields. It's the, it's the heart coherent state they believe that will have the most measurable impact. Mm -hmm. uh, you believe that heart coherence not only can impact the, 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 the macrocosm, but also uh, an individual's health and well being. Well, we know for sure that it absolutely does. That's research we've done. There's a lot of, of benefit that comes from heart coherence. Just the brief explanation to your listeners that heart coherence is this aligned state where heart-brain communication is synchronized and ordered. It's a very um, energy-efficient state where the body systems are all working together synchronously and in harmony. It's also a state that is accompanied by sustained positive emotion, emotions that have been you know, associated with the word heart, like love, care, appreciation, mm -hmm. those kind of emotional states. So it's both emotional and physiological. So it's a very, very highly ordered, efficient, effective very aware state. And is this our natural state? It is a natural state. Is it our natural state as human beings? Our natural state, yeah. Unfortunately, we don't live in our natural state as often as, as we could. And the speed of life, the roar of ambition and survival, all these things sort of take us away from this natural state that we have. That's the bad news. The good news is, is we can return to it very easily. And that's where the heart math techniques and methods come in, is returning to that state. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So in the heart coherent state, there are physiological benefits to your question about health. We are very careful in making health claims because we do have uh, regulations here in the United States around you know, making health claims on certain things. But I can say through our training programs and through our, our, our products like the M-Wave that people have had, have had health benefits, documented health benefits. We've received... Uh, information and case histories from many, many physicians all around the world about changes that they've seen. We've had people be able to do things like reduce their medications and things like heart arrhythmia, for example, as a result of practicing heart math techniques, all done, of course, and I'll make emphasize this point very clearly, with the doctor's recommendations. So we've seen improvements in physical health. We've seen improvements in psychological health. There are about 20,000 health professionals in our database right now that we know 
use heart math. Mm -hmm. Whatever um, whatever uh, health issues people have, a lot of those are mental health professionals. We work directly with, for example, mental health professionals in the, the U.S. military and VA hospitals, using heart math as a way of helping soldiers pre-deploy into the combat zones and also especially when they return. Well, I'd like to go into that a little further. Um, I, we're just going to take a short break now, and then we'll be right back with our guest, Howard Martin, discussing um, HeartMath and the Global Coherence Initiative. Albert Einstein said... I believe in intuition and inspiration. Imagination is more important than knowledge, for knowledge is limited, whereas imagination embraces the entire world, stimulating progress, giving birth to evolution. New Consciousness Review is all about the media of inspiration and trusting your intuition. Join us at ncreview.com. Your partner in conscious evolution. And we're back. Uh, we're talking with Howard Martin about the Global Coherence Initiative. And Howard, I wanted to follow up on this application um, with um, particularly veterans going, uh, warriors going into battle and veterans coming back. Um, it, it seems to me that one of the prices of modern society is being um, alienated from our hearts, really being alienated from our feelings. And if I'm understanding you correctly, um, your techniques are a way of getting back in touch and, and connecting with the heart. And I understand that um, many people have said that actually there's a brain in the heart. Is that your understanding? Yeah, absolutely. It's a, the brain and the heart studied through the field of what's called neurocardiology. There are... It's a, it's a science. It's a medical science. There are neurocardiology conferences and things. It's a well-known nervous system now. It's a very complex nervous system. Next to the brain, it's the most complex nervous system that we have. Uh, it it's, exists within the heart, distributed out through the heart. It communicates with the big brain in the head through a nerve pathway that starts in our heart but then travels upward. It enters through the lower brain centers, travels directly through the mid-level brain where a lot of our emotional processing activity occurs. But terminates, this is where it gets interesting, it terminates in, in the higher perceptual centers of the brain, the neocortex. So we have this communication that's constantly going on neurologically between heart and brain uh, through this nervous system that exists within the heart itself. Hmm. So uh, do you have some techniques that you can share with our listeners that can help them increase their heart coherence? Let me share a very simple technique in this format, but something that people can walk away with that you can do anytime, anywhere. It's, it is really simple, but when you, when you do it, and you do it with sincerity, it can have a big benefit. It's called the quick coherence technique. It's a three-step process. 
And I'll take people now, if you'd like, Miriam, through the technique. And it's a short technique, but something that people can use anytime, anywhere, right in the midst of daily activity, uh, right before the call like I had with you today, for me, <laughs> uh, walking from here to the, you know, to the meeting room when I get through with this call to prepare for the next meeting that I have. Um, even driving in the car, if you do it with your eyes open. But I'd be glad <laughs> Take everyone now through the three steps. Yeah, sure. Okay, if you're in a position to close your eyes, it can be helpful when you're learning something. If you're not, just listen, and, and you can do it with eyes open. But the first step is called heart focus, and I'd like you to shift your attention from the head, the area of the head, and just shift it right down into the area in the center of your chest, the area of the heart. This is called heart focus. Just feel your attention and your energy going right straight to the center of your chest. Now, we'll go to step two. This is called heart-focused breathing. So maintain your heart focus and breathe naturally and normally, but a little deeper than you normally would. And as you breathe, I want you to pretend as if that breath is flowing in and out, right through where you have your focus, right through the area in the center of your chest. Let's breathe this way just a little bit to get comfortable with heart-focused breathing. Now these two steps will set the stage for the third and most important step. It's called heart-feeling. Maintain your heart focus and continue with your heart focused breathing. But now I'd like you to try to feel a positive emotion. It could be the love or care that you have for someone or something in your life. It could be just a, a feeling of appreciation you have for the things that you have in your life. It could be something like when you just feel good. Like when you accomplish something, you know you did well and you feel good inside. And maybe it's just a, a feeling of well-being. And you sort of sit back sometimes and just say, you know, life's okay. Everything's really all right. Whatever you choose, just try to find a positive feeling. Don't force it. Don't make it hard. A gentle, easy-does-it process. And feel that feeling as best you can while you continue with your heart focus and your heart focus breathing. And there we have it. Quick coherence. No. Oh. It didn't feel like coming back. That felt so good. That's a natural state, Miriam, that we all go to pretty quickly when we just do this something like those three simple steps. Heart focus, heart focus breathing, and heart feeling. Mm -hmm. A lot goes on in the physiology when we do that. It synchronizes the autonomic nervous system. Heart-brain communication improves. The brain's a big winner in it. The brain actually opens up. Higher perceptual centers become more active and alive. Hormonal releases begin to change. A lot of things occur just by practicing that one technique. 
it's the simplest of all heart math techniques, but it's got a great utility to it, really. Mm. But you can do it so easily, and when you do, you get a lot of benefit. Oh, it's terrific. Tell me, Howard, what are some of the things you see that kind of indicate that a shift is happening now? Well, gosh, you know, it's, it's become obvious to me, Miriam, in many ways. It's almost like a new world is birthing in the midst of the old one we've been living in. And it's sort of pushing out on the sides, you know, of the, the old world. And the, the old world's pushing back in, and there's this point of tension that's there that I think most people feel. We certainly see it, and when we look at the events that are happening in the world, and we look across the, you know, sort of the, you know, the landscape of things that are occurring in society today, and we see all the problems coming to the surface. We see things that have worked for a long time not working anymore. We see the need for change everywhere. We see, you know, pictures of dysfunction and things that are, you know, just popping up all over the place. And that's part of what we see from the tension that's going on. Additionally, I think people are feeling this sense of urgency inside themselves. It doesn't mean they have to be people that are consciously involved in this era that's called a shift or anything like that. You know, I do little just fun experiments. They're not messing with people. They're really sincere and genuine. But I'll be maybe in a cab, you know, going when I'm out speaking and being taken from the airport to the hotel. And I may just say to the guy, you know, tell me, you know, do you, do you have any sense that things are changing quicker in your life for you now than they did before? And boy, I'll get a I'll get a story and a half, you know. <laughs> the person asking that simple question, you know, and it. It can just be somebody, you know, doing the best they can to, to lead their life, and they yet yeah, they feel this this push, this this urgency that's happening. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's one thing I see. I also see people that are really, really aware all over the place, and whatever part of the world that I'm in, people that have or have changed their values, have changed the way they think, have changed perception about things, have changed what's important to them, and they express these things in very eloquent ways, and they have an awareness about them that's kind of hard to describe. It's like it's it, there's a flow to it. There's a, a naturalness to it that I see. There's a, a natural ability to be more caring, you know, about things, for example, to have more consensus understanding of what's best for the whole. Mm -hmm. And what's really cool about this is I see it in people who are, have never been exposed to some of the same things that many of us have. They've never been exposed to meditation. They don't know who Deepak Chopra is. You know, uh, none of those associations with things like that. Uh, they're just people, and yet they found something within themselves during these times that's really changed who they are in a very, very nice and positive way. Mm -hmm. Another thing that I see that indicates a shift is happening is I see some of the major paradigms, so to speak, that we never challenged and questioned before, now being challenged and questioned because they're not working like they used to. And things like the financial system and the political system. That's one, yeah. And going deeper underneath that, if you look at what's what's going on with the financial system, the fundamental, to me, the fundamental paradigm that's being challenged that we never really questioned is greed. Mm -hmm. Greed is what's up. The system is just a representation of greed. I also see things like ambition not connected to something that is inclusive. I don't see that working as well as it did. Our world was based on, you know, in the creation of all we have today was in some ways based upon ambition, you know, ambitiously going after improving things or creating new things and all of that. It's not bad in and of itself, but ambition can cross a line into some serious self-centeredness. Mm -hmm. Watch ambition being driven by self-centered motivations and desires. I can see sometimes that it doesn't produce the same result. It's just feeding back on people. You know, I see this 
people that I that I know uh, or, or can associate with, say, in business, I also see it in society. It doesn't seem to be working the same way that it used to. That's not to say you or your listeners that we shouldn't have our hopes, our dreams, our aspirations, and to put our, our, our conscious attention on these things. But when it's just raw ambition, I want my, I want this, and I'm willing to do what it takes to get it. And I don't care who gets in my way. And I don't care if somebody else loses, as long as I come out. That kind of thinking, that kind of attitude, that kind of action, to me, is not working like it used to. It's not producing the desired result. And that would be an example of a fundamental change in the structural psychological uh, frameworks of how we get along in, in this world we live in. And that's an example of something that I see that represents a shift. Speaking of the world, you travel extensively. Do you find that people in some countries are more receptive to this or more active than others? Actually, I don't. Um, I find that there's you know, groups of people, or not, not mean like organized groups, but subsets of society everywhere that are responding pretty much the same way. Uh, an example for me last year, that would be last year I made my first trip into the Middle East. And I spoke, uh, I was invited to come in and speak in um, Kuwait. Well, Kuwait's a very, you know, sort of civilized, upscale part of the Middle East. But people from many, many other Middle Eastern countries came to see me speak. So there were people that I wasn't, you know, I'd never been exposed to these people, especially in their environment from a country like Syria or Palestine or Qatar, those kind of places. And there were people from all over the Middle East that were there to hear me speak. And... What I found was is they had such similar awarenesses and values, interested in the same things, were aware of so many of the same things. And when I began to talk to some of them individually, I'd ask them, have you ever been to the United States? The answer was no. Have you ever been to Europe? The answer was no. And yet they had this such a similar connection to what people here are feeling and thinking and what they want, such a similar feeling to what I experienced with the European people. Uh, I spoke in Germany last year, and I just can't tell you the outpouring of heart that, that I experienced from those people. It was a relatively large group, but I remember, you know, I, I spoke, and it, was, it moved me so much because I could feel their heart so intensely. Mm -hmm. And I left the stage, and they started, you know, the, the applause and all that, and, and I walked down a hall back to my dressing room, and when I got down there, they were still applauding. <laughs> it touched me so deeply that I actually sat there and cried. Because I felt so much what they had, that their heart out for me. There really is such a yearning uh, among people for this heart connection. It is. People want that more than ever now. I think part another hallmark of the shift is that we're moving to more of a, a state of cooperation rather than separation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of road to walk. I mean, I'm a pragmatist here. There's a lot to do, a lot to, a lot to unfold over the coming years. But the, the energetic momentum, so to speak, is moving us more towards a cooperative model rather than a separate model. People want this. They want to connect. I mentioned the heart mastery courses that we give now. And, and one of the things that's really great about them is that people aren't just taking a course. They, they become part of a community. And that's one of the things that, that people are like about it. That's why they're drawn to it. Mm -hmm. They want to be in, in some sort of relationship, whether it be a study relationship via online and telephone uh, conversations that we're having, uh, or whether it's face-to-face. -face. What they want is they want to find the kindred spirits. They want that connection. They don't want the separation. And they want to feel bonded in the heart. Mm -hmm. 
And I think you're right about that. It's a sensitive comment you made because I think that it is uh, something that we're longing for now more than we had before. Yeah. You've been talking about creating a group of coherence builders. Can you explain more about that? Well, here's the deal. You've got millions of people right now, and we've talked about this just recently in our conversation today, who are trying to do the best they can. They're putting out a lot of love and care and, and positiveness, so to speak, into the world. There are many, many groups. There are thousands and thousands of groups around the world forming, especially this year, because there's some significance built around the 2012 date, that sort of thing. So you have a lot of energetic output going on that's trying to create change in the world. However, the world's in flux, and people are in flux, fluctuation. And so there's a lot of up and down and all around going on you know, in terms of the energetic output that's going out. If we could see this on a computer, you know, some big computer in the sky, so to speak, we'd see that there's a lot of randomness in how much productive energy is being put into the, to the planetary field environment on any given day. So there's a lot of up and down going on. Our belief is, is that because heart coherence is so effective and so efficient, that if we create a baseline of elevated heart coherence in the context of the, all these great efforts that are going on, that it helps to stabilize things. And it gives it a solid footing for these many, many wonderful efforts to build upon. And if we could see the computer up in the sky again, we could see that it is balancing out some of the fluctuations that are occurring. So what do you do? You'd like uh, pick a time when everybody is supposed to focus on their heart and on feelings uh, in relation to a particular place, like you said, the Middle East? Well, there can be some of those activities, but it really starts with the person who wants to learn how to or become more heart coherent within themselves. And then practice techniques and things, whether it's heart math or something else, but practice more sincerely and diligently, and then bring that forward into their daily lives and the interactions they have moment to moment, day to day. That's what a coherence builder is. It's a person operating in the world more coherently from the heart, mm -hmm. living their life more that way. So we're doing what we can to provide that education. I mean, there's some, you know, there's some cost associated with that, like there would be for any courses. We, we, have, to, we have expenses on our end as well. We offer the coherence building type um, classes through the Heart Mastery Program. The mission goal of it, beyond any business goal, is that we want to try to get about 300 or 350,000 people operating at another level of heart coherence, especially during these times and ongoing as well, to do what I mentioned a minute ago, to help stabilize and add um, a foundation to the wonderful things that are happening that other people and organizations are doing. So it's not trying to be the big deal in town or to be special, but it's just bringing in our understanding that we've developed over many, many years, along with our scientific understanding of how certain things work, and apply that now to saying if there's a shift going on and there are millions of people that are trying to facilitate that shift, let's bring heart mass approach to the party. You know, like I said, there's a lot going on and we don't see ourselves as special in the context of it. We just want to make sure that we're doing what we can to support these things now. The way we feel it could be best supported would be to create more heart coherence underneath the whole thing. When you talk about the energy field of the planet, it, it kind of re reminds me of, uh, uh, as above, so below, the energy field of a human being. I mean, is it like a, a chakra system, like an energy flow system? You're talking about the planetary field? The planetary field, yeah, the, the one that you're measuring. 
related. I think we relate to it through chakra relationships, but it's just bigger than that. I mean, there's think about it this way: there's a field of consciousness that where information resides that really is the order within the universe itself. And that field of consciousness is reflecting back to us, not just what we think in our minds, but especially what we feel in our hearts. There's a co-creative process that's always going on and always has been going on between the field and consciousness that we have within ourselves. And they're interrelated. There's an energetic connection between all things. And the consciousness field is a great big, big old field. It's universal in nature. We tag into little parts of it, and that's where we draw our information from. And so it's... Um, it's non-linear in so many different ways, and even non-local or non-physical in many ways. Nobody knows how to really measure the consciousness deal. We believe that it exists, but nobody knows exactly what it is or, or, or how it's configured. Physicists are doing a great job now of unfolding new ideas and new perspectives on it, but we still haven't cracked that code yet. But yet, we all sense it in some way, and we believe in it in some way. And to me, what I've found in my own belief, in my own experience with it, Miriam, is that I interact with that field from the heart. That's my connection point. That's where you know I merge with the universal source, so to speak. I merge with that field. It's really through the heart. The brain plays a big role in the whole thing. The brain is a master interpreter. It's it's the, the place where we sense things and where we experience things and where information is stored and all of that. But when I look in my own life and look at when I make those connections to that larger field of consciousness, it has always been a connection through the heart. And, that and, and that, that, those are the emotions, presumably. I'm sorry? Is that another way of saying that it's through your emotions? Well, emotion's part of it. Emotion's part of heart. Um, emotion is sort of a neutral energy that travels through our system. Uh, the emotion it becomes determined, is determined by our perception. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, when the emotional states associated with when I'm connected to that field in the, in the, in the most dynamic way are heart-related states. When I'm feeling love, when I'm feeling real compassion, not just some sympathy, but when I'm really feeling compassionate, or when I have care that's not burdened by an over some sense of responsibility, or when my appreciation is genuine and real and not just based on, you know, what I want. When I clean all that up and I find those emotional states within myself and I experience them, that's what opens me up to a sense that I'm co-creating in a more dynamic way with something larger than me. Yeah, but the thing is that you're co-creating whether you're feeling positive or negative emotions. You're still right. creating. <laughs> we call that feeding the field. We're constantly feeding the field whether we like it or not. Yeah. And that field's going to reflect back to us what we're feeding it. You know, so if I'm grumpy today, if I'm you know, in a bad mood today, I'm feeding the field that, right? Mm-hmm. I'm happy about things, appreciative, and thinking about something besides myself or what's for lunch, then I, I get a different response from the field. So we, we, we have a little saying here, sometimes we use it at heart math, you know, feed the field. You know? <laughs> what are we feeding it right now? And we actually build some of that into our training in ways that we language it differently so companies and organizations can accept it, you know, about creating the, the right environment for our meeting, so to speak. Yeah. What are we saying? Let's condition the field environment so we get a more cooperative you know, result out of the meeting. And don't, you don't want to feel, feed the field junk food. Yeah, that's a good point, yeah. No junk food in the field today. You know, we want high-quality <laughs> nutrients. You know. So do you have any events coming up, Howard? I sure do. I'm getting ready to start my... 
speaking tour this year, actually next week. Um, I start out in Hendersonville, North Carolina next weekend. The, uh, I think it's the 15th, 16th, something in that range. Uh, in Hendersonville, North Carolina, of all places. Uh, we have a great event there. It's actually in the Asheville area. And I'm there partnered with uh, another author speaker that many of your listeners may know about named Greg Braden. Oh, my friend Greg. Absolutely. Yeah, and then I'm following the next weekend. I'm in San Diego at the Unity Center. And the weekend after that, I'm at Kapala Institute up in um, Massachusetts. Um, so where would people go to find out, to see all of your coming events? Go to the Global Coherence Initiative um, website and look at events. It's glcoherence.org. Uh-huh. Okay. Glcoherence.org. Look there in the event section. You can see where I'll be live. I'd love to have an opportunity to, to meet some of the folks that are listening and you have a chance to make some new friends. Well, there you have it. We've been speaking with Howard Martin of the HeartMath Institute and the Global Coherence Initiative. And again, their website is glcoherence.org. Howard, I want to thank you so much for sharing your, your inspiration and wisdom with us today. Miriam, it's been my pleasure. Have me anytime. <laughs> I will. And next week, our guest will be Michael Beckwith, who will be sharing his story of his new CD, Transcendence, a totally new music concept blending electronic dance music, uplifting, inspirational spoken word. I hope you'll all join us for what should be a joyous program. We're going to close with our track of the week selected by the Positive Music Association. And this week we're featuring One Power by Daniel Namod. Once we close our eyes to see
Angeles-based singer-songwriter and humanitarian, Daniel Namod. You can find out more about Daniel at danielnamod.com. That's D-A-N-I-E-L-N-A-H-M-O-D.com. And I hope you'll check out our website at ncreview.com. Well, that wraps up our show for today. Until next week, I'm Miriam Knight for New Consciousness Review. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.